0: Hey everyone, and welcome to another minisode of The Investigation Game. During our time at home, Leah has been creating free webinars every week that are filled with amazing information. So we thought for these next few weeks, instead of our usual minisodes, we would give you all the shortened version of the webinars. If you find them informative, feel free to join in on the full-length live event, or if you missed one of the older webinars, we post them all on YouTube. I'll be sure to attach the links to our events page, as well as our YouTube page in the show notes. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you soon. All right. So today we're going to talk about how is cash
1: used? Last week, we talked about that cash can be stolen in two ways, two broad ways. As it comes into an organization, a business, a nonprofit, it really doesn't matter, um, but coming into an organization and how it leaves the organization. So today we're going to talk about how it leaves the organization. We're going to identify some different data sources that'll just help us do, walk through this process. We're going to talk about the best data sources and just some of the easiest things to do with these data sources. So you don't have to think, oh my gosh, there's a billion reports I could run out of this company. You can really just go to a few things and find what you need. I, I promise it works every single time. Really, the majority of the cases we work with the exclusion of payroll, because payroll also, you know, is a way that cash leaves the company. But we address that in the first week of these webinars. But really, these are some of the most common ways. How is cash used in an organization? We have operating expenses. So if we understand what the operating expenses are of a company, for me, that's rent, some Internet, (laughs) some uh, a telephone, right? So it's pretty small in, in another organization. It could be something much larger. They, they might buy equipment. They are gonna pay payroll more than likely. We have cost of goods sold. So are they manufacturing? Are they you know, creating uh, widgets or uh, different things? And then what are all the costs that go into creating that? Sometimes we're gonna pay taxes. Hopefully the owner has a salary or distributions and hopefully there is profit. So if we understand how all of this money leaves then we can understand, then we can know how to go back and quantify what's missing. In an organization, if all of these items that I've listed are already spoken for, so rent has to be paid at the first of every month, payroll has to be paid, you know, let's say twice a month, uh, your vendors have to be paid for your cost of goods sold, taxes definitely have to be paid. If all of these things have to be paid with cash, then what is the piece that a fraudster is stealing? They're stealing your profit. It can go on for so long because they're stealing your profit, which should be your reinvestment to then grow and all of that. So you don't necessarily notice it until you're out of profit and then you're out of money for rent. And that's when owners call me and say, oh my goodness, something is wrong with cash. When beginning an investigation, we're gonna identify the specific risks in these different areas, okay? And, and most of the time, business owners come to us or with their attorneys and say, okay, we know that they're stealing this way. But then we still like to walk them through, okay, what else does this person have access to so that we can identify the risks and determine, you know, are, are there other areas that we should also look at while we're concerned with writing checks to themselves, fake vendors. Then we need to remember that we have to identify who benefited from the allegations. Business owners come to us and they'll say, we know that they were taking money this way through false reimbursements, right? They'll say, but also we heard they're doing X, Y, and Z. Well, we have to identify how they benefited from X, Y, and Z. False reimbursements make sense to me, but this other situation you're telling me about, I don't really see how they benefited. So not that we're not gonna look at it, but we also need to make sure that whenever we're putting our scope together, we're thinking about fraud has essentially two parts. We have to show intent, but the primary focus of a fraud investigator is to prove benefit. We're gonna prioritize the client's areas of concern based on these risks. And then we're gonna identify data sources that allow us to look for who benefited. So sometimes, especially when, if there's kind of a gray area, who benefited from these credit card expenses? Or how do we know if these credit card expenses are good or bad? what we like to do is actually approach it from and ask and answer the question, who benefited from this transaction? Was this a transaction that benefited the business or was this the transaction that benefited the employee? And a lot of times that helps us just kind of get out of the, Oh, this is a good transaction. This is a bad transaction, but focus on who benefited. If someone is stealing money, it will show up on a bank statement. Now they could, steal inventory they could steal parts they could steal supplies they could steal equipment those are asset related we're, we're not talking about that we're talking about cash transactions they're gonna pull cash out of the bank not take an asset and then sell it and then they you know blah. all of the things we're talking about today will show up on a bank statement just because something looks weird in the accounting system it doesn't mean that there's fraud until you've identified the cash that someone could have taken to casino could have gone shopping with could have you know whatever now stolen money also leaves through payroll like we've talked about and it also leaves through credit cards you have your cash account and it's going to show all of the payments to credit cards but those are going to be lump sum payments then you have to go to the credit card statements to actually see okay did that did those transactions benefit the employee did those transactions benefit the employer you know that's where you get that detail Because just because they made credit card payments, that doesn't necessarily mean that that was a bad transaction like we were talking about earlier. Once again, we have to look for who benefited. And a lot of times we do this by working with the client and the attorney because the client knows their story, but we know data. So we can put all of this data into a format that the client can easily digest, and we can work together to identify, okay, this is a normal business expense and this is not. But what we're gonna look for, same as with Ghost employees, we're gonna look for duplicate EINs, duplicate addresses. We can do the thing where uh, we take the address, the numbers in the address, street address, and we can uh, concatenate that with the zip code. Another thing, just that we can do is we can take the employee master list and then we can combine that with the vendor master list to see is anyone being paid as an employee, but then also as a vendor, you can run that on addresses, you can run that on socials, EINs. The point that I wanna make about whenever we're looking for these things as ghost employees or looking in vendor files, is that we want to make sure that we connect the data or the anomalies in the data to actual payments on the bank statements because just because we have an anomaly in the vendor file, that doesn't mean that cash has been stolen. We have to show how that connects to cash. And usually you're gonna find that like we talked about on the bank statement. If you haven't noticed by now, bank statements are my favorite source of data. We like to include the bank name, the account name, the account number. We usually give some sort of account reference. We make sure that we have a relevant period. We try to identify that at the beginning, which that's something that I didn't do till later in my career. And man, that'll just save everything if you can just remember to ask for that relevant period. Also, we like to make sure that whenever we've scheduled everything, that we tie it out total of all the bank statements. Does that, does our our total deposits and total check amounts tie out to the bank statement? We give every spreadsheet a line number. We have our account name, our account type, account reference, we have our statement date. The statement date is the date that those transactions cleared the bank. If there's a check written, then obviously there could be a, there's gonna be a lag most of the time between the check date and the statement date. Sometimes we do schedule the check date in certain situations, just if we think that that would be helpful or important. Whenever you're looking at a bank statement, if you're gonna run like the days of the week, like we've talked about before, You're gonna want the check dates because you wanna see when were those transactions happening instead of when did they clear. Because if you're looking for, oh, we think they were writing checks on Saturday or Sunday, that's not gonna show up on your statement data because that the banks aren't open Saturday, Sunday. You know, they're not processing those days. The first thing we want to do is really just organize this information. And the way we like to do this is by sorting by name. So what's our payee name? And really all we're doing is taking this information, sorting by name, we're gonna subtotal by name. So there's a function in Excel called subtotal. At each change in name is, going, is what you're gonna select. You're gonna sum, and then we're gonna sum our deposits amounts and our um, expenditure amounts. You can look at this information by summed by payee. We're going to create another spreadsheet where we're going to have all of the summarized information so that we can look for a few other things, but then also that we can provide the client with a summarized list so that they can help us identify, okay, we recognize these vendors. We don't recognize these vendors. One of the things we want to look for in vendor information are companies. We like to kind of just narrow this down for the client. You know, if we just give them this whole list, they kind of get overwhelmed. So we like to just identify some things that maybe are of highest risk so we've talked about even dollar amounts before but one of the things we haven't talked about is filtering for any time a vendor name says inc or llc so we're going to search for inks we're going to search for llcs so that then our clients can identify that information and see you know is that a company that they've done business with Then we're gonna do the same thing just by filtering and and going through this summarized list to identify any individuals. Because once again, it could be an employee getting paid instead of a vendor. It could be a contract labor person who maybe shouldn't have been on, you know, receiving payments. So that's just another way to identify those potentially suspicious activities. Another thing you wanna look at are transfers and wires. Once again, that's why looking at the bank statement is so important. We're also going to review the audit trail like we talked about. Here's a couple of examples. First, I had this CFO and the accounting records were not reconciled, which that is super common. I know as accountants, it kind of blows our minds, but they weren't reconciled. And the bank statements were summarized just as we described. We just looked for LLCs. Inc., transfers, whatever. So we identified transfers to unrelated bank accounts on the bank statements, but they had not been recorded in QuickBooks. So if we had only relying on QuickBooks, we would have missed all of these transfers. By looking at the bank statements, we were ident- able to identify the loss of $475,000. We could look at who benefited from these transfers well we knew that the transfers weren't connected to the company and eventually the cfo actually worked with us so he confirmed that those were his bank accounts but also it gave us intent by looking at okay we can see all these transfers in the bank account but we're not seeing them he did not put them in quickbooks so he omitted those transactions which is our evidence that helps our prosecutor get towards intent i also had a coo and we summarized the bank statements went through that whole process, and we identified expenditures to really fancy clothing stores. And the accounting records actually showed that the expenditures were recorded as an asset. So it was recorded against various fixed assets accounts and inventory accounts. Once again, and and this was about $350,000, and that was just for the fancy clothes. The case is much bigger than that. But we knew that the COO was the recipient of the fancy clothes. There was no business benefit, not part of his job. And then the fact that the intent piece was helped, you know, that that piece was um, given more legs just because he hid the expenditures in the asset accounts so that the expenses didn't appear too high where the owners might've noticed. I also had an operations manager and once again, by using that bank statement process, we identified LLCs that were not related to the business. And whenever we looked on the secretary of state, those LLCs were actually registered to the LLC itself, which helped kind of give that intent piece some legs. And the operations manager received those payments. They were his LLCs. The LLCs had his address as the address, but the registered agent was the LLC itself. So that whenever we went to search for that individual in the Secretary of State, we couldn't find that easily, like we would have had no idea to look for these LLCs. The loss in that just for that scheme was about a million dollars. So in credit card data, we're going to do the same exact thing. We're gonna organize it the same exact way as the bank statement. We're gonna create a schedule. We're gonna look for payments. The only other things that I'm gonna say on credit cards is that you can use the day of the week function because credit card statements have the transaction dates. So we automatically in our credit card account schedule looks just like that bank account schedule, but we go ahead and we include that days of the week formula so that that populates. You can also look at the locations that'll come across in your payee information. A lot of times it'll say, you know, restaurant, Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we create a column of all the locations. Also, some credit card statements have the various categories. And so then that's helpful. We also like to look at the number, like do a count or a dollar amount of meals per month, because that seems to be one of the most abused things on a credit card. Uh, We also like to look at the location of an employee compared to the calendar. So that's why that location column is really important. We also need to make sure that any credit card payments we have, that they tie out to the credit card payments that we're seeing on those bank statements to make sure the credit card statement we're looking at was actually paid for by the business. That's sometimes a link that's forgotten. So here's one example. We had this executive director of a nonprofit summarize the bank statements. And we identified some credit card payments but the organization didn't have any credit cards so then we were able to actually one of the employees still had some copies of these credit card statements and so then we s- scheduled and s- summarized the credit card transactions and we identified tons of cash advances at the casino and one of the things is that whenever the executive director would pay his personal credit card bills out of the nonprofit, he would hand his statements to his assistant and ask her to shred them. And so that helped with the intent piece. We had the assistant is actually was actually the whistleblower and still had copies of those credit card statements. And also we knew that the benefit piece that the executive director benefited from this because the credit cards were in his name and he was the one going to the casino. And that was a $1.5 million loss. We also had an office administrator who was using the credit card for legitimate expenses and also not legitimate expenses. And so the way that we kind of helped reconcile that, it's going back to the beginning. We looked at who benefited. So did the business benefit from this expense or was this a personal expense? And so that's how we distinguished between the two. And we did that using the locations and also the weekdays to look at When were these transactions taking place? She wasn't supposed to work on Saturdays or Sundays. She should have been in the office this day, but instead she was traveling, those types of things and helped us quantify. We found about $105,000. The intent on this one was a little more gray. We didn't have a whole lot of intent evidence on this one, but the office administrator wouldn't let anyone else enter uh, her credit card charges. They entered everyone else's but her own,
0: so she just maintained that control. All right, I think that's it. The investigation game is brought to you by Workman Forensics. For more information on the business and its services, visit WorkmanForensics.com. Find us on social media on any social media platform at WorkmanForensics. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or topic ideas, please email us at podcastworkmanforensics.com. At Thanks for listening.